Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again to do another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, it's a uh, traditional signing day recap here. We'll do a, a recap of the most recent activity, also give a quicker, broader look at the uh, totality of the class, get an idea as to maybe what was said publicly and if there's anything to be read in between the lines of, uh, of some of Florida State's comments uh, from the coaching staff today. As always, want to thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and uh, one one fantastic sponsor that we could uh, could not do an awful lot of what we're able to do without their support. So thank you to them. And uh, with that, let's jump into the recap of the 2020 class. Yeah, let's let's do get into that, Ingram. So f- let's first go over what Florida State got today as far as uh, new signatures from players who were previously uncommitted. Uh, I wouldn't say there are any major surprises there, but uh, all, all three were uh, pleasant developments for Florida State that, that I think were uh, expected uh, from Florida State's side, especially on the third kid that we're going to talk about once they elected to actually offer him a scholarship. That's an important part in the process of actually landing a player uh, study show. So first, uh, I know a player you're very excited about in linebacker DJ Lundy. They end up beating out Virginia Tech uh, for his signature and According to some, Georgia, not totally sure about that, but definitely Virginia Tech to get the linebacker there out of your home state. Really talented prospect. People's opinion of him are are on the uptick, and there's mixed opinions as to how legitimate that Georgia interest was, but it certainly was there to the end of the race. You know, if nothing else, it was one of the kids that they wanted to keep on the proverbial back burner, and that kind of has its own merit to it at this point in time. For what it's worth, I went and watched a decent amount of his wrestling tape. Really impressed by that. Um, just thank you. You know, in a couple of years, this could be a kid that we look back on and and think that uh, there were a fortunate series of events to, uh, to get somebody like that. So uh, we'll have to see what happens, but excited to get the uh, DJ and TJ combo out of the state of Georgia. And then the Sydney Williams kid is somebody that we had talked about and many others that uh, Florida State was going to kind of run it down to the end of the line, whether or not they offered, they did. And ultimately he chose what Florida State over Indiana and a couple others. Indeed. So Florida State decided to uh, extend the offer to him uh, late Tuesday night. And uh, he ultimately picks the Knowles. TJ Davis is a guy that they're going to use at defensive end. Um, I know Coach Papuchas uh, today, the defensive ends coach, said he was like 250 already. So that's that's pretty encouraging. Um, they desperately need some pass rushers in this class, and I feel like he's somebody who can actually get get some explosive pass rush for you off the edge. You know, one of the things I like about Lundy, real quick, if I may, you know any lazy wrestlers? <laughs> no, man, it's not a fun thing to do. I mean, I, I don't know how I, I chose to do that uh, for as long as I did, and it's uh it's not something you do unless you make the real decision that you are going to do it. You don't like you don't say, "Oh, I play basketball. I I I play football." Nobody describes themselves as playing wrestling. Uh, there's not a whole lot of play going on. It is miserable existence, and uh, you know you don't. If if Norvell's building a program around kids who want and choose to work, uh, stashing away a wrestler or two every year isn't the uh, the worst way to go about doing it. Yeah, I, I just feel like. Okay, we're going to talk about this in a second. You're not getting the best of the best here in this class, but if you can be marginally better than the the expectation, awesome. That's great. And I feel like maybe in a kid like Lundy, uh, maybe that helps you. It just makes me think, okay, if you get a kid like that, a high-motor kid who's a tough physical kid, 
that's going to make your practices better. You know, because you may you may get some five star next year who comes in, and in fact, I think maybe in forty eight hours, maybe you will get a five star who comes in, and maybe that five star beats out Lundy. Okay, but maybe not immediately. Maybe because Lundy is is a good practice football player and a guy who brings it every day and has some professionalism about him and some work ethic about him. Maybe that makes that five star work even harder. If there's one thing I want to get out of this class, I, I think if for the Knowles. It's important depth, but it's also having some guys in this class who can make sure to establish the culture of like you do have to come in and really work for your job. Because uh, there's no doubt in my mind, Coach Norvell is going to be bringing in more talent in future classes than this one. In fact, this is almost certainly going to be the least talented class he ever signs pound for pound at Florida State. I can pretty much guarantee it. Can it help you establish some some cultural things? Can it help you with some depth issues? I I think so. Uh, Sidney Williams is a player, and we'll talk about a little more later in the show, but Coach Norvell, you know, because he was hurt his senior year, they, they had done a lot of evaluation on him while he was at Memphis. They had a good relationship with the high school coach and people in the state of Alabama. He was the DB out of, out of uh, Mobile who uh, is going to start off at safety. And basically, they just really liked him, and they, they believed in his upside. And that was a word he used specifically with Williams in the upside. Well, that's that's what you need, right? Like you don't need a bunch of guys who are just floor guys at all these positions. You need some upside. DB is not a position at Florida State where you need to raise the floor, right? Like they got enough dudes on this roster. In fact, we debated should you take Williams or should you pocket the scholarship? And I don't know that we have an answer for that. Clearly, this staff believes that taking Williams was the right choice. I'm not convinced of that, but I'm open-minded about it because Coach Norvell is talking about his ceiling. It doesn't, if you're talking about ceiling to me, that tells me that you're betting on his upside as opposed to taking a guy for depth purposes, which I would be against doing specifically at the position of DB compared to, you know, maybe uh, uh, another another position where you don't have much talent at. Then there was two guys Florida State uh, did not get. Um, the one is a, is a pretty big blow for sure. I mean, he was the second most talented player in your class going into National Signing Day. I think we were probably the most negative of the FSU media outlets as far as FSU's chances to get him just because I've had so many coaches in the industry tell me, if you're committed to us and you don't sign early, what's the rule? Say it with me now. You're not really a commit. Your recruitment is open. Georgia Tech just went through this with Jameer Gibbs, by the way, a player that Florida and Florida State and Ohio State and some guys tried to get. Now, he did end up sticking with Georgia Tech, but they had to re-recruit the hell out of him. And I had kids at the Army All-American Bowl, or well, excuse me, the All-American Bowl, no more Army sponsorship, tell me that he was introducing himself as uncommitted out there, despite the fact that publicly he was still saying Georgia Tech commit. Now, I wasn't in the room when he said that to these other kids, but that's what they had told me when I was hanging out on the practice field with them. You have to you have to keep re-recruiting these kids, and Florida State was unable to get Wyben. And look, people say, well, they got they got Williams, you know, they got Williamson, they, they got some other receivers. They, they do, but let's be real here. Wyden was the most talented receiver you had in, in, in the boat, and that's certainly a loss, just as Morvin Joseph was a loss to Tennessee in the early signing period. These are kids that you have to do a better job of keeping in, in the state and players at some positions of need uh, who I feel like if you're grading this class, that that's a negative. Uh, I mean, like those, are, those are two kids that I would expect Coach Norvell and his staff to be able to keep in state, even with short you know, kind of short relationships since – you know, Odell obviously knew uh, knew Morvin Joseph, and and Dugan's uh, knew Malachi Wyman. 
those are the dudes that you have got to find a way. You got to find a way to to keep those guys in state, even though you're in a transition class. And then Donovan Kaufman, I I don't think it's a huge loss that he ends up sticking with his commitment to Vanderbilt. Um, That did surprise me. I thought he was going to go to Ole Miss. I don't know. That's that's not a major loss to me. Ditto. Uh, Weidman, we we knew. I don't. I won't repeat your mantra, but uh, we knew damn well that you were fighting in a incredible uphill battle when you didn't get the LOI, the first crack at it. And uh, Kaufman, nice, nice player. Hope it works out for him at Vanderbilt. Uh, overall, the class ranks at twenty second in the country, uh, which is this is uh, the lowest ranking that they've had. And I mean, uh, two thousand seven f- for me is the worst class signed forever, um, both in in numerical value and what you ultimately got out of it. But is this, what wasn't that around 21st in the country, something like that? Uh, man, you were good. They were 20th that year, 20, it looks okay. like. Uh, and, they only, and the thing is, that year, they like I would argue that on paper, that class is much better than this class for this reason. This year, you took 25 kids and you ranked 22nd. That year, they actually got to the 20th ranking by taking only 16 kids. Didn't they only have the one four-star out of Detroit or whatever? They ended up having seven composite four-stars looking at this. Um, now, I will say, I think some of these these retroactive rankings like a long, long time ago are a little bit more sketchy, mm-hmm. right? But so here, here are the four-stars that they had in that, in that class because they, they signed 20 kids. So Deontay Allen, your kid out of Michigan, who, who they took. Um, Brandon Paul was, was a four-star out of Tallahassee. I do remember him as being a legitimate player. Um, Kendall Smith was a four-star out of uh, South Sumter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antoine Greenlee, who you probably mm-hmm. remember. Um, Brian Coulter was a, a defensive end they got out of uh, a JUCO in Mississippi. Zach Hillary was a Hargrave kid back when Hargrave Military Academy was, was really a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Burt Reed was the, uh, the, the other one. So they had... They had seven four-stars in that class out of 20 players. Florida State has eight out of 25, so a much higher you know, ratio of elite talent in that class. Um, they had some dudes in that class, actually, a little bit like, like Rodney Hudson was the second-worst-rated player in that class. You know, They also had some dudes that they took that I was like, uh, what, what are y'all doing? Like, some of these dudes are not Florida State caliber at, uh, at all. Hmm. I didn't remember those first wave of kids uh the jimbo era being in that class but uh i had to go back and look at it interesting i I didn't realize hudson was in it in particular they had they had easterling in that class too he was kind of a decent player like he wasn't terrible he's a decent athlete dude could throw a football about 70 yards and the uh bernard brinson kid was in that class too out of madison who i believe yeah he got some aggravated assault stuff and has an inmate number so look let's just be frank here yeah a, a 22nd rated class is the worst rated class Florida State has ever signed as far as like in the last 20 years. That's that's about when the recruiting rankings somewhat at least started. Eight blue chips out of 25 signees. That's not good. You lost ground today as far as your roster against Clemson, Florida, and Miami. Period. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat that for Knowles fans out there. I'm not going to try to tell you be, to be more excited about this class than you should be. Okay, just because it's this is a transition class, and this is the, how, how I'm going to kind of square this point up. Because if you have another one of these, then you're going to fail as a coach here at Florida State. However, we should note the expectations for this class were not very high. We have seen across the nation 
in the early signing period era, if you're a new coach taking over, so like, you know, not a, uh, not one of these guys who's an interim being promoted from within, that kind of stuff. If you're a new coach taking over, your class is not going to rate necessarily all that well. In fact, we went over this in our early signing day preview episode. I thought it was it was sort of relevant here. So again, let, let's go ahead and put this class in perspective. Best transition class ever was Taggart in, in 18. They were 11th. Then Dan Mullen, 14th in 2018, Jimbo Fisher, 17th in 2018, Chip Kelly, 19th in 2018, Jeremy Pruitt, 21st in 2018, then Norvell, Mike Norvell, 22nd in 2020. So taking out Cristobal, obviously, so that's the sixth best recruiting class of a, uh, six, that's the sixth best transition class of the early signing period era. If you fire your coach after just two years, that it means that you are going to have a roster where two of your last three classes are transition classes in the early signing period era, you have a messed up roster and will for a couple years. That's what we talked about as soon as they fired Willie. This class doesn't do a whole lot to fix that, but there are some positive about the class, which is what I want to focus on. We just talked about the lack of talent overall. We just talked about how you lost some recruiting battles to schools like Vanderbilt, Tennessee, you know, schools like that, that are not schools that, Florida State fans want to think of themselves as competing against, right? But that's who they're competing against right now and losing some of these battles, too. Want to remind everybody as to what our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group are doing. The fourth annual Tallahassee Wine Mixer. Something that we've talked about. Pretty cool thing that they're doing as they are wont to do. But like we said previously, this is two different levels of tickets. You have the general admission, uh, which will include unlimited wine sampling, unlimited games, and a commemorative tasting glass. And then at the VIP level, uh, which is $60, you get unlimited wine sampling, charcuterie board, mozzarella, unlimited games, and that same commemorative tasting glass. So a really cool thing. want to just point everybody in the direction of it. Best way to find it is just to Google the Tallahassee Wine Mixer, and it is the first result that will pop up. That is much easier than the actual uh, web link. So yeah, Google Tallahassee Wine Mixer. There you go. 2021 is going to be very important, but let's first focus sort of on what they got at each position. Maybe we can say if we think they address their needs there, either talent-wise, numerically, or both, because uh, I think there are some differences there. Sometimes you throw numbers at an issue, but you don't necessarily get the talent that you need. Maybe the logical spot to start there uh, is is quarterback. So, yeah, quarterback, uh, positive news to report and the fact that Florida State uh, signed two of them, uh, which was a, a nice turn of events. And it was a great example of an individual who has a plan and rides with his plan and, and fully executed, made the decision that he wanted to sign uh, two high school quarterbacks and uh, subsequently jeopardized and ultimately played a large role in a pretty highly thought of kid signing elsewhere. Uh, but you ended up signing two high school kids, getting a real pull out of Arizona and Purdy, and at the same time a uh, coach's kid and a, a pretty accomplished uh, player in his own right out of the kid out of Vadasta, the, the Tate Rotomaker. So uh, really positive signs here uh, when you look at what you're able to do at the quarterback position and the numbers are what they are. And I don't think we want to sugarcoat what we also, what we just talked about. But there's also some things to look at and find optimism uh, with the way that this class is put together that maybe won't be showing up in uh, in some of its statistical rankings either in the way the quarterback position, in my opinion, 
uh, was handled as one of those things. No doubt, this is one of the positions that I think Florida State fans have to be the happiest about when you combine that these are two of the targets they really went after in the recruiting cycle. They got them both, and Coach Norvell has a good track record with quarterbacks. These guys are also rated fairly highly uh, relative to the other positions. This, this is probably the position. I think this is the position that I think if you look at the combination of talent and numbers needed at which they did the best, probably. Running back, I guess I'll take this one. Uh, so they land Florence Toe Philly in the early period. Uh, they, they get Damian Webb, the junior college running back, who I know they're they're pretty excited about. Lawrence Toefilly is going to be your highest-rated guy here, four-star back out of the Tampa area. Uh, Corey Wren, big-time speedster, and uh, and then they also they, they had listed Jakai Douglas here, which was yeah, this was interesting. Now, look, I get it. Jakai kind of has a bit of a running back build. He is a receiver, but he catches the ball extremely well. In Coach Norvell's offense, they do throw the ball to the running back a whole heck of a lot. Like That'll be one of the biggest differences you'll see as far as from a production standpoint compared to the Browns offense. So uh, if you want to use him out of the backfield, that's fine. Uh, it would not surprise me, by the way, if you had some more guys in the running back room right now not come back for fall. Like I think that them taking four slash five backs, because I'm, I'm including uh, Deshaun Corbin in there, who we don't know if he's going to be eligible or not. It sort of signals to me that maybe they don't have a whole lot of trust that their guys are going to be there long term. Pretty good talent here. There's no like the the, the lack of the lack of Jalen Knighton uh, does stand out to me. I'm not going to lie. Like he would be your difference maker type back in my opinion, based on seeing him in person and also in the recruiting rankings. Like that dude's a stud, and Miami got a really good one. This room looks a lot better if you if you land him, and that's. That's a position where recruiting rankings really do translate quite well. So not getting him is disappointing, uh, but not something you can't overcome. It's it's also a, a position that, you know, in future years, you should be able to hit out of the park, I think. Next position we want to talk about is wide receiver. Uh, Brian Robertson uh, Brian Robinson is a good get. Uh, Kentron Portier is a, another kid that we talked about who kind of emerged. Uh, and then the new addition here is Darian Williamson. Yeah, so he's a kid out of Tennessee. The other player in this class, uh, along with Williams, who was hurt uh, in in his senior year, Coach Norvell today in his, in his press conference said that he had done a lot of scouting on, on Williamson when he was at Memphis, and uh, he was also college teammates with, uh, with the high school coach here, which helped them out with Williamson and also a player we'll talk about probably in about 20 or 30 seconds. But overall, I, I would include... Douglas in this group, by the way, just for for long term purposes, even if they start him out at running back, or or if that's some kind of typo on the on the sheet that they listed him at running back. I think this is a pretty nice job by Florida State. The thing I, I will note here is y- your lack of like freaky freak athlete. Now, Robinson, I think, can be a super productive guy. If he's your number two, I think he could be a very good two in college football. I don't know that he's like a number one who demands double teams like. Why been the the potential error bars on him are huge because he could be a huge bust, but he could also be, you know, like the best receiver to come out of the state of Florida this year. The the, the guy's his upside is that was that good, and it does stand out to me that you didn't get like a super elite talent in this class. Now I'll note that Kentron uh, he has a lot of upside too. Maybe not the top end speed at, at being the same, but huge hands. He's a guy who could be a really a really nice weapon for you. So. I think this is a solid job that they did here. I'm not going to not going to go overboard, 
but I, I think it's a it's a pretty solid job here, uh, especially keeping Robinson. Tight end position, uh, Carter Boatwright, who is it? Is it just me, or does Carter Boatwright already feel like he's been on campus for two years and uh, is entering uh, like his third year of eligibility or something like that? But maybe it's just how early he committed and uh, factories kid out of Moultrie that we've talked an awful lot about. Uh, Markson Douglas is the other kid at this position. Uh, we've talked about him. Mike Norvell today called him potentially uh, the steal of the class. Uh, evidently, this is his first year of uh, exposure to football and somebody that we talked a couple weeks ago is just a real enticing prospect. Maybe he stays a tight end, maybe he eats his way into a tackle. Uh, maybe who knows what you want to do with him, but he's a great athlete uh, with some, you know, transferable basketball skills. And Hey, if there's somebody that uh, that's just a, you know, one of those prospects that barely even has a, uh, a profile filled out three weeks ago and, and you turn into a real player, this, this may be the type of kid that does it. Absolutely. So I think this is a pretty solid group here. Uh, you'd like to get a really high-end kid in the next cycle, especially because it does seem like Coach Marvell's offense uses the tight end uh, a good bit. But this is a really nice pair to have. I think immediately your blocking is going to get better uh, as far as the upside of the position with these skills with, with Boatwright. And then Douglas, uh, he was the guy that I picked in, in our Q&A episode of you know, who would you pick to uh, most outperform their recruiting ranking? Well, Douglas just makes the most sense to me because I think his his potential range of outcomes is so wide. He could not be any good at all. He could potentially end up a superstar. The guy's very athletic for his size, and it's going to come down to you know, how well he can pick up, continue to pick up the game and how well they can teach him and how committed he is to it. And I'm not going to say it's going to work, but I'm also not going to say it's not. Like, he's a project but a project that I believe is probably worth taking here, right? You had the scholarship. Uh, you don't need to pocket them all. Go ahead and, and put some of your, your chips that you still have in your pocket on, on, some, on, on, on some roulette shots, you know, uh, some, some dudes who could really maybe hit it big for you. Offensive line. Let's talk offensive line. That's the position we probably talk about the most on this podcast because it stands out the most. <laughs> I thought Coach Atkins uh, was very good in front of the camera uh, today, by the way, like that. When people in the industry tell you, like, that's a future head coach, yeah. Like, there's a reason. He, he gets it. And he's mm-hmm. able to crack some jokes, but also be serious. I thought he did a very nice job not making any comments that he would have to walk back later. Uh, for instance, the, the, some of the media today, uh, and I wasn't there, because I'll, I'll tell you why in a little bit. They asked him, like, hey, what do you think about your tackle position entering the spring? And he's like, you know, honestly, I'm just I'm going to wait to comment on that. I want to see what these guys do in the spring. So like I was like, good. That's that's probably what you should say, you know, because you know, like I feel great. They're awesome, and then they end up playing anywhere close to what they did last two years, which is possible, because uh, the talent really hasn't changed. But I think it was smart of him to say he had some good comments. Uh, he, he liked that Zane Herring was already on campus. Just kind of standard comments there. But uh, about Robert Scott, uh, he said that he was one of the first guys that he had called. Coach Norvell had a connection with Scott because uh, Norvell's alma mater is in Conway, which is where Robert Scott is in Arkansas. And he said, you know, I called him right, I think right before, right after Christmas, and we talked. And it's like, we didn't talk about ball at all. We just talked about other stuff in life. I wanted to try to get a feel for what, what kind of person I was getting. And he said that Scott is really into fashion. And uh, and so he's like, oh, I, he's like, I, I also, you know, like like my swag. And, and so I, I you know, showed him my closet there on the, 
on the video chat and uh, told him we, we were going to have to get him right because that Arkansas swag uh, from up there in Arkansas really wasn't getting it. And if we could get him down to Florida, uh, you know, we, we could show him some real style. So uh, a good ability to connect. You, you can tell you know, Atkins is he's probably a little bit younger than I am, um, I would think, or, or, or about my age. He, he definitely connects with the kids. Uh, very well. He likes Scott's length. Uh, so does uh, offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham. Clearly not a guy I don't think who's going to play super early, but you know, could he be a year two guy for you? Possibly. Uh, and overall, this position, look, you, you took four guys here. You took Zane Herring, Robert Scott, Thomas Schrader, and Lloyd Willis. If two of these guys end up being dependable starters for you by year three, I'm taking that to the bank and running. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that, right? If you if you can give me, if you can give me two starters out of this group by year three, I'm I'm fairly I'm fairly excited. I, I think this is a a good job by this staff relative to the time that they had to work with and the obvious issues that Florida State has had recently as far as just a terrible reputation for offensive line. Before we move to defensive line, bud, and this is a comment that we could make for probably uh, every unit on the. Uh, on the on the roster review that we're doing tonight, and I don't mean to minimize any of this, but is this not also maybe the position group that you would also hope that would get like uh, over recruited, with maybe the exception of Scott, uh, maybe not immediately, but I don't know. I, I think that this is one place where the staff will go, uh, you know, whale hunting as much as possible. And Florida State's not really in the the place to win big national. Uh, number one, number two type tackles in the country or something like that. But I think if there's any unit that may be uh, over-recruited as quickly as, as anybody signed that the offensive line unit may end up being that. Uh, yes, 100%. I mean, look, dude, I, honestly, I think you're exactly right with the offensive line. I can say the same thing about, about tight end. If you go out and you get a nationally relevant stud tight end, he's going to be nipping at the heels of Boatwright and, and Douglas probably immediately at receiver. Like is I don't know that you signed a number one receiver in this class. I think you got some 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 twos, probably some high upside twos. You go out and get a stud one, that dude's gonna be all over Robinson and and, and Kendron and, and, and Darian. Now it doesn't mean he's gonna immediately beat them out, but he's gonna be on their heels pretty quick. One hundred percent with running back. I don't think any of the guys that you actually signed have the talent to hold off a true, like upper level Cam Akers style five star back. You get a true freshman on campus for 2021 who's that level of kid, he's going to start over these dudes that you just signed, in my opinion. Now, quarterback's different to me because it does take a little more time and experience. I, I, we just spoke about Luke Altmyer in our last episode, and I don't necessarily think that Altmyer's going to come in and beat out Rotomaker and, uh, and Purdy immediately. But in all the other offensive positions, I could absolutely see a five-star type coming in and, and, and starting over everybody else you signed at each position. And it just kind of gets back to like, yeah, for some of these dudes, the star rating really does kind of reflect the talent level or some of the limitations in their game. Yeah, and it's a, it's an interesting blend uh, from a, a first year perspective of trying to build, uh, you know, quite literally in some instances, trying to build the the foundation of your program, and also wanting to like over recruit them almost immediately or, or uh, recruit over them. Uh, almost immediately so uh, it's just an interesting thing to have to go through and something that we'll uh, monitor and and uh, look at even harder as we look at the 2021 class coming together 
All right, Ingram, let's pause to thank our sponsors, Resolution Home Loans. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN, you're going to get hooked up. It's the best loan guy in the business. Over 40 NOLCAST listeners have used Resolution Home Loans to get their loan for their dream home, including me. I'm a listener, but I'm also a NOLCAST host, so I can tell you firsthand just how good of a service they provide. It's expertise, knowledge of the industry, customer service, and great competitive rates, as well as helping you time up the market to make sure it's the right time for you to get a home. I know, I know we've had a lot of listeners recently uh, get homes through Resolution, and, and we're excited that there are more to come. Maybe you could get your dream home through Resolution Home Loans. That's 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. Defensive line, you add uh, TJ Davis, the name that we mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast, to a group that already included uh, the Griffiths kid at IMG, and then the big uh, physical kind of project in in that uh, what Emmanuel Rogers represents. So uh, a nice class, but some maybe some holes in it at the same time. Yeah, look, I, I think with, with defensive line, it was very important that they ended up getting TJ Davis. They already had Josh Griffiths and, and, and Manny Rogers signed. Manny Rogers, it, to me, is your real high upside kid here. He's a player I know the old staff liked, I know the new staff is pretty high on. I think he has potential multi-position uh, options available to him if defensive line doesn't work out. And he's a guy who's also new to the sport, right? He, he's a dude who's not super polished. But if offensive line, or excuse me, if defensive line doesn't work out, he could go over and see Coach Atkins. I'm sure Coach Atkins would probably welcome him with open arms uh, because he does have that, that sort of offensive tackle build as well. Uh, but this is a position where, like, let's be frank about this, you didn't get any high four-star, uh, early career, obvious difference makers. I'm not going to rule out the, the possibility they can make a difference earlier earlier in their career. However, uh, I will say it's not obvious to me like they are. Like some of these dudes nationally, uh, a Brian Brzee, for instance, who's going to Clemson. He's going to start for Clemson next year, and there's a good chance he could be the best defensive lineman in the ACC as an 18-year-old. I mean, like there's difference makers out there, and we've had him at this program before. And I don't know that you have the instant difference makers here in this class, but overall, not too bad. You got to go out and get some, get more pass rushers this this coming year. I think you need to you need to kind of go whale hunting and land yourself a true, you know, five star, high four star type tackle uh, for, for this coming class, and that takes real uh, program commitment. If you catch what I'm saying here? Like it's not easy to get those guys foresight, follow through, yep. organization, uh-huh. right? Absolutely. Faith and family as well, very important in in, uh, in this endeavor course but yeah overall solid there linebacker i'm actually fairly excited about now not getting Keyshawn green uh, in the early period is is definitely a loss um uh, that, that kid was very athletic and, and somebody who i i think could have helped you but they've already been pretty impressed with with steven Dix, according to coach norvell's comments there today uh, i know coach fuller spoke positively about uh, jl mccluster and we spoke uh, well of dj lundy uh, in in our intro so when you combine this year's linebacker group with last year's, which I know we really liked, and the year before's, which we thought was a step in the right direction, I, I really think that Florida State's linebacker room is is on the right track. Coach Marv has got to be happy with with what they left him, but also with with what he's bringing in. Uh, and, and hell, I mean, Jadarius Green McKnight, who's a player we're going to speak about in just a second when we talk DBs, and like, dude, he's also a guy who could really help you out there at linebacker if he continues to bulk up. So I feel like your linebacker room has been restocked. Yeah, good things done there. And the addition of Lundy today only only adds to a unit that was uh, 
very well addressed uh, by the three high school kids that were signed. Uh, defensive back, uh, DeMorte, that's... Uh, oh, yeah, jacked up! You know, what? <laughs> those are the highlights that you want to watch pretty much every day as a Florida State fan when trying to evaluate what this class is. Uh, Green McKnight, really talented, and then the addition of uh, of Williams, uh, which is a, an interesting prospect and, you know, wasn't, uh, like we said, wasn't completely healthy his senior year. Uh, some of the local individuals that you talk to um, consider him to be a, a pretty great athlete uh, and maybe f- truly flew under the radar. But uh, I feel like you got two pretty not sure things, uh, but kids that you have to have an awful lot of confidence in and then a kind of a three star under the radar that will have a lot of variance as to what ultimately he might become. Absolutely. And we did find out today that Williams is going to start out at safety, uh, according to Coach Fuller. So interesting to learn that there. With, with Tate, Tate is the one player in this class that after Coach Taggart got fired, you had Tier 1 recruiting schools. And as defined by me, Tier 1 was, what, Bama, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia. Like the, the schools that are legitimately competing for the number one overall class consistently. Those schools actually came after Tate. He's really the only guy in your class that those type of schools wanted. And his his talent level stands out to me really way above everybody else you signed. Like, you would be excited about signing Demory Tate in any of Jimbo's best classes, right? He, he's, he's, a, he's a first-page kid for us. If you look at, at who Florida State signed here today, I think, what, I think the top 10 or top 9 kids that they signed were, were dudes they signed early. Not a whole lot of new drama today, but yeah, Tate, Tate's worth revisiting just because he is is really that talented. They also got an Australian punter, uh, which is cool. Um, I don't know anything about punters, so I'm not going to try to fake like I do. <laughs> you want to go? Uh, you want to talk a little coach quotes? Yeah, we'll just throw a couple of lines out that we uh, kind of perked our ears as we listened to various comments made by members of the staff today. Uh, Coach Norvell described. Uh, a lot of excitement surrounding the future uh, for Florida State and just kind of what uh, what the general reception that he received both by product, uh, prospects and, and other people as he went about the, his role of, of kind of filling in and becoming comfortable being head coach. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought his quotes there were, were pretty interesting. Um, I don't know if it was a hint or not. I, I tend to read into it as a yes, it was a hint, but I, I think that they've received some positive feedback from some of the better players in, in 2021, clearly some they're also still pretty far behind on and, and may never catch up on for 2021. But uh, yeah, man, like this is this is a program that I feel like is headed in the right direction at this point. It just may take a little bit longer to get there than some fans uh, or probably than all fans would like. But some fans may be a little more accepting uh, of, of the potential timeline. But, but yeah, he had a nod to the excitement that they're already receiving for uh, for 2021. He also said something interesting that, that I think is is interesting and something I'm going to track. He he said he believes that like their hit rate and their success rate on on their class, their transition class, is going to be higher than people think, um, because of like according to him, his straightforward recruiting approach with these kids, telling them how much work they're going to have to put in, uh, and hopefully like scaring off kids who, before they sign who don't want to put in the work, as opposed to figuring out the kids don't want to put in the work after they've signed. If that's the case, then certainly I, I think that's that's extremely encouraging. Now, 
Do we know if that's going to be true? No. Do we know if Coach Norvell's ability to evaluate how much somebody wants to work in just like two and a half weeks from his hire date to the early signing period date? Does, does he have that ability to evaluate that in that short period of time? I have my doubts, right? Like there's a reason that these transitional classes in the early signing period era have been such a disaster so far. Maybe he has the ability to, like if he can have like 10% better attrition than the average, I think he's going to take that and run with it. That, that would be awesome. The short timetables here is still your major uh, your major factor, in my opinion. And, and I'm not totally convinced that he can overcome that. Although telling kids how hard it's going to be from day one is an interesting strategy with, with a lot of positives and also potentially some negatives uh, in that you could scare away some kids who maybe think that they're not like that they're not into that kind of work. But and I know this sounds crazy, but then later on realize, hey, you know what? No, actually, I, I can handle that. I can push myself. I, I am good enough. So you do run the risk of, of losing a kid or two uh, who is, is scared of, of that sort of rhetoric. But overall, I, I don't mind. I don't mind that. And I think it's probably a pretty effective limiting filter if you have a full season to use it. I just I mean, do you think that he can effectively do that in just two to three weeks? Uh, coaches are certainly confident in uh, their ability to do all kinds of things, and that would be uh, that would be one of them. And I mean, look, uh, I think Norvell is very honest with kids. I think that's part of his approach, part of his uh, philosophy when it comes to selling whatever program it is that he represents. But um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, you know, more often than not, history of numbers uh, tend to tend to win the day. Uh, another thing that I I thought was interesting and. A little bit of honesty from a profession that uh, you don't always hear it from. And also, I think a really good thing for Florida State and where they were in the process. But it was it was interesting to hear. And I think the exact phrase Dillingham used was that either something like he didn't they didn't fill their head with a lot of dreams. Uh, that Basically, they were they were smart about who they thought they could get, who they wanted to target. Um, I think it's an acknowledgement that they were working from a limited pool, but also I think it's a little bit more of a reflection of a staff that has a real organization as to how it wants to go about the process and, and knows that at the end of the day, it has to, has to choose the path that is both possible and, and also more than likely to yield positive results where maybe previously staffs didn't, didn't go about that. Yeah. Uh, precision targeting here uh, is, is important um, in, in such a compressed timeline. I, I like that they didn't go out chasing ghosts and, and trying to get kids that they really didn't have any shot to get. That's that's encouraging. They, they felt like they tried to get the most talented kids that they could actually you know reasonably sign. This was a major gripe that I had with the old staff uh, after, like during the 2018 season when they kept trying to go after those kids. And I had some heated discussions with those guys. You know, like you, you talk to them on on background and you know, just like I do other staffs, and you, you gather information for your your national reporting. And I was like. Yeah. You guys are not going to get Evan Neal, man. Like that's not happening. If 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 you have a coach in your in your your recruiting meeting saying, "Yeah, we're still going to get a chance at him," he's just lying because he doesn't want to admit that 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 he, he's not going to get the player, and that might help him that day. But I don't think it's going to help him long term to uh, to keep insisting that you guys are in a good position for him. Like you're not going to get that guy. And there's there are a lot of guys like a Frank Ladson, right? Who who went to Clemson? I'm like you're not getting Frank Ladson. Give, give me a break. Like I don't, I don't care how much Willie says. You know, I, I, that guy's a must get for us in the state of Florida. Like, okay, well, are you going to do something about that? I didn't mind them going after those targets initially in that class. We've been over this, but 
once the, the losses started to pile up, they, they were far too slow to react and downgrade the level of prospect that they could possibly get. And, uh, and I feel like the staff did a pretty good job of targeting who they thought uh, they, they could get. Uh, also, hey, let me ask you a question here. Let's let's say Coach Norvell is right that that their hit rate and their attrition rate are going to be better in this class than on average. Like they, they end up with more starters out of this class than you would expect. Is that a good thing? Intuitively, like you say, yeah, for sure. Just, but I don't know, man. I'm not. What do you think? Let's let's, let's deep dive into this a little bit. Yeah, I, I I understand what you're saying, or at least I think you do, or at least I think I do. Excuse me. It almost sounds disrespectful to to talk about this, but I mean, you're look if, if you're a fan that wants to <laughs> wants Florida State to to play at the absolute highest level, then ultimately you want most of these kids to not get to play a whole lot. Uh, you want these kids to be uh, recruited over in a pretty aggressive fashion. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not uh, some diamonds in the rough. It doesn't mean that you didn't sign an exceptionally talented kid like Tate and some of the other prospects we've noted. But on the whole. I think there's a lot of optimism. There's situations that you can look at and project uh, to maybe bigger battles that could be won in the future. Uh, I'm not just trying to rein negativity, but, you know, the worst class that you've signed in the modern era is the worst class that you've signed in the modern era. I, I don't know that having a ton of these guys turn into long-term starters is is necessarily uh, the good thing that it may sound like on the, on the first listen. That, that's a great point by you to split those hairs, too, because – Attrition low, hit rate high, awesome. I'll, I'll take that all day. Having them actually be starters, a lot of them being starters, especially like multi-year starters, that I will say is a negative. But if you give me these guys who, who st- like if they actually stick on your roster, if they make your practices better, if they make you physically tough, if they're actually good depth players for you, and they still get beaten out, that means some of your five stars and four stars that hopefully you're signing next year and you know, and, and in the twenty twenty two class, that means those guys are, are also having a high hit rate because they're ha- they're having to, to overcome the dudes who are already on the roster. So, I I don't think you root for these guys to immediately not be on the roster. Clearly, but y- your point about if they're if you get a lot of starters from this class, you're probably you're more than likely. I mean, averages say that that that's not really a great thing. That that's that's a really good good distinction by you. I know you you had some thoughts on some of Coach Fuller's comments. Did you hear what he said exactly about Marcus Woodson and, and Sidney Williams? Maybe I'm making too much of this. Maybe I'm... I didn't catch it, no. It To me, it almost sounded like they had evaluated Williams when they were at Memphis, that maybe Woodson was able to provide some additional information that that would have further pushed their evaluation of of Williams along. Now, I don't know if that means that he was more familiar with, uh, with some of the injuries that he went through or position change. I don't know. Uh, but when I listened to, to Fuller's comments about how the information that Woodson brought from his previous employer, it was it was kind of interesting to to see that maybe, you know, people that uh, you're not necessarily closing the book on a kid when it comes to an evaluation process. You're open to hear things from other people and and maybe it pushed Williams a little bit further up their board than they anticipated. Well, I, I let, let's square this with Coach Norvell's comments that they talked to a lot of high school coaches in the state of Alabama and they all said really positive things about Williams. Could it be that the person who was doing the the talking to the coaches in Al, in the state of Alabama was the guy who last year, this most recent season, was actually coaching in Alabama in 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 Marcus Woodson potentially? I mean, like he he would be the person who would probably be in the best position to know. That's that's possible that he was actually the one doing that. All right, Agrib, let's talk about expertise for a second. 
when I think expertise, I think Travis Johnson. Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm is a board certified family law attorney. There's only 280 of those out of more than 110,000 attorneys in the state of Florida. This guy is in select company. Military divorces can include some very complicated issues. If a spouse is deployed or out of the country, can you even get a divorce? Can you file for divorce since you have moved to a new place every three years? What do you do with the children when you get orders for a new duty station? What if you get an overseas posting? Can a spouse stay on TRICARE insurance or access the commissary in exchange after the divorce? What about dependents? How can GI Bill benefits be used? What about SGLI? I don't even know what that is. How do you divide retirement benefits? All these are significant issues that should be addressed in your case. And Travis Johnson has a lot of experience over 10 years specifically in this field. These are things you want to make sure your attorney knows. The guy we're recommending to you, Travis Johnson, he knows. He's a board certified expert. You can reach him. 850-435-9919. Reach Travis Johnson. 850-435-9919 of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm. I also thought it was kind of interesting, uh, Fuller's comments about uh, <laughs> about getting TJ and the fact that he was uh, filled an immediate need. They had an immediate need for an edge rusher, and uh, and he talked about his comments uh, about how he you know uses his hands well and could provide some help there. And then also kind of immediately talked about the fact that he might uh, ultimately grow into the center of the defense as well. So obviously a kid that they have some some hopes for contribute in fairly early, but uh, not really sure exactly where he may ultimately end up. Uh, just kind of got a an interesting body type there to work with. Did you take that to mean like middle linebacker, or did you take that to mean like centerpiece of the defense? Uh, I, th- I meant that to be more uh, a situational defensive tackle. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, if, if that kid bulks up into that, that'd be, that would be crazy. I, I wonder if we don't have sort of a, a Massachusetts accent issue here. Uh, we're, we're trying to interpret Fuller's comments because there's a lot of ways you can take that. I I, I didn't hear him say that specifically, so I, I don't I don't know how to how to comment on that one. But that that would be really interesting. I, he does seem like a player they're pretty excited excited to have, and that's probably related to the fact they know they need some pass rushers. You've been recruiting to a three four for the last couple of years, and now you want to run a four three. So there's going to be some growing pains there. Some some real ones. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, uh, Dillingham talked about how they are excited to use Ren and plan to use him on everything from vertical routes to jet sweeps, stuff that you'd expect to hear from a, a guy when he signs a, a you know, prospect with a, what, a 10, three, 500 meter time or something like that. Um, I didn't take as much away from Dillingham and maybe I took too much away from Fuller, but uh, those are just some of the things that stood out to me as I listened to the coordinators talk. I mean, look, he's a legit 10, three, 10, 400 kid. Uh, yeah. Jet sweeps are, are a way to get him on the field immediately. So uh, overall, I, I would say, Solid job by uh, by Coach Norvell, given the the handicap that that is the early signing period as a transitional coach. Like if you go like the the objective grade, you know, and, and you don't account for that, it's clearly an F because it's the worst class they've signed in, in the recruiting rankings history. But if you account for the the obvious handicap that is the early signing period, and you grade it on on the curve, which I feel like is probably appropriate to do, uh, then I, I think maybe a what, what do you think? Like a like a B minus? Yeah, I, th- I think a, a B is an appropriate score. I think um, you know the numbers are the numbers, but I also uh, look at some situations here and really confident about uh, what this coaching staff was able to do. And exciting to get to the the actual coaching part of it because I, I think I think you have to be real confident about what you have 
uh, when it comes from the instruction side. We'll see if that plays out over spring, but uh, I think you've seen really positive things on the recruiting trail. 2021 is going to be a lot of fun to watch how that kind of fills out and builds out. You know, let's let's get to the let's get to the coaching aspect of this staff. Uh, the awful lot of excitement kind of surrounding the the interior of uh, of where Florida State's headed. So uh, a lot of optimism around the program in general right now. I like it. I like it a lot. Let's uh, let's go ahead and, and we'll get to our uh, to our next episode soon. Uh, we we thank all of our uh, five star viewers on iTunes and our Patreon supporters as well. Patreon.com slash Nolcast. Shout out to Justin, our new podcast producer as well. Uh, and uh, I'm sure if y'all listen to a podcast ain't played nobody on Thursday, uh, you heard me mention that that would be my last podcast ain't played nobody. Uh, that will not be my last uh, Nolcast episode. Obviously, I'm, I'm not going anywhere for that. Uh, but uh, this is actually my last week at uh, Vox Media uh, and Banner Society and Tomahawk Nation. It's been a, a really uh, special run. I mean, over a third of my life now has been involved with Tomahawk, and uh, can't tell you uh, where I'm going just yet. Staying on the media side of things and keeping the Nolcast. So, no, I'm, I'm not going to take a job with Florida State, because they probably wouldn't allow me to have this podcast, most likely, uh, if, if I did go over there. Um, but you, you, you guys will see me soon, and, uh, and big, exciting things to come for the future of the show. And we very much appreciate all y'all's support throughout our careers as we've developed the show.